Well, hello, listeners. I'm James Norris, and I play Max McCary in the play. And I'm here with show director Donna Singleton. Hi, Donna. Hi, James. Well, before we get started, I really would like to thank you for being the third set of eyes on our script. I'm so glad we brought you on to Team Mara, and that you really brought a lot of new details, especially to Act One, Scene Three, and the back and forth. So. Thank you. We appreciate you being part of our team. Oh, that was my pleasure. I love being a part of the creative process, and then being invited to be on the cast was、uh, was great too. So you started working on Call Me Mara with local playwright and historian Philip McMath around two years ago, right?、Mm-hmm. All right. So, how did you first get involved in the project? Well, I knew, or I met, well. I met Philip at the premiere of his play, *The Hanging of David O'Dodd*, and was there for the other plays that he did with Karski's Message and Lincoln's Dream. But where I really became close with Philip and his wife Carol was when they both graciously agreed to be the honorary co-chairs for the Weekend Theater's 20th anniversary gala, and so they were. So generous in supporting that project, and that I've always wanted to work on one of his plays. Actually, be an actor in one of his plays, but he actually approached me and asked if I would want to look at the Call Me Mara script and provide, you know, input and guidance, and to become the director of it. And so I said yes. Couldn't pass up that opportunity. Oh no! Philip is known around town as being very collaborative, inviting people to take a look at his work to give feedback.、Um, I I know that from working with Philip on one of his earlier projects too, and he just loves that. He thrives during the revision process. When I would think as a playwright that would be sort of painful, but he just loves it.、Um, can you talk a little bit about the experience you had working with Philip these past two years? Well, I remember. The first meeting, he had sent me the script, so it was like the summer of 2019, and I come prepared to the restaurant that we were meeting at, and I had all the little tabs that marked all my questions, numbered, and I had my questions in my book, and I was really prepared, and I almost felt like I was going to school, and I was sitting there asking questions of the professor, and he was so gracious, and we had such a great time talking about it, and. I remember because I was always now. What did you mean by this? Or what was behind this? Or why did we do it this way? And he would always say, "I don't know." There were times that he would just say, "It just that's it wrote itself." And so it was interesting. And he did take a lot of feedback. And we talked a lot about the characters and the development. And、um, for me, for me. A play is all about defining the characters and the development of their arcs within the scene and through the total play. That if we can't make the characters real, and they cannot find the rhythms and they cannot find the color in their voices, then the play is going to have a hard time. And so we worked a lot about developing the backstories. I actually developed character briefs. On Max, on Ray, on James, on Mara, on Betty, on the main characters, and Olivia, to be able, and I shared those with Philip because I wanted to say anything that I provide as an edit to the dialogue, I want to have 
be based in reality and that goes up against that measuring? How does it go against the character? Is that true to the character? And so working with him and doing that was very important because as I work and I'm listening or looking at a script, I'm actually hearing the characters in my head. And so I understand and can see, you know, do, do we have enough tension going on here? Is this build happening? Um, is there go, are they going off the rails and we need to bring them back? Or there wasn't enough. I know we worked very hard for the ending scene of the play to be able to have that, that fight scene, basically, mm-hmm. between Max and Mara. And to have that build to the ultimate ultimatum that she gives you. Did you have anyone do any reads of the play while you guys were working on it? Or did that come really late in the process? That came when we decided that it was important for us now to have, to go to the table read process. To now actually hear live voices. Because what happened when we were going through about our fourth or fifth edit is when I said to Philip, we need another set of eyes because I'm too close to it now. Mm. You're too close to it now. And so that's when you came into the picture and brought a lot of good observations to what we were seeing and the, the back and forth that we saw in Act 1, Scene 3. And then you reach a point that you now act, you do need to hear actors speak the words. So we went to a table read process. But for me, that process has to be different than most table read processes. What I didn't want it to be was a group of actors getting together around a big table, and you read it once. And for many people, and or many of the actors, it's the first time they've ever opened the script. Right. That's kind of the traditional table read environment. Yeah. And that's what you usually do when you get started in a play, in the rehearsal process, mm-hmm. the meet and greet and get started. But if we're using this to validate the words, we have to know that the words are being said in the essence of the character. So we needed to, I felt we need to have the character development happen during the table read process, to have the actors invest themselves in understanding the, you know, the backstories of their characters, understanding the scope of the, the scene, to be able to say, is this, does this work? Or, you know, it might be missing something. In the case of the ending scene, we know we had to add more interaction that the arc wasn't big enough. And so the table read process helped us to get to that point. Yeah, due to the pandemic, I know you know that's a great example of the logistics of things having to be kind of shifted around how you handled them. Um, what were some of the other challenges that you faced uh, when it came to dealing with the pandemic? <laughs> well, for this process that was difficult is the fact that we weren't together. Zoom is fine. It works well, but rehearsing through Zoom is tough. You know, it freezes up. There's a delay in hearing the lines. Um, It is hard to be able to truly get that interpersonal connection with Zoom 
you guys did a great job of that. And what I thought was interesting was when we got to the point of being able to make that decision to go to the podcast as an interim to get to the stage production, and then we gave you headphones to be able to wear, that kind of helped the actors become more conversational. But what was the true benefit, and that was really all about timing, is that when we made that decision to do the podcast recording, got the recording date, everyone was fully vaccinated. That was the cool timing. Yeah. And then we decided to, the week before, have the in-person read-through of the entire play. And that was an amazing shift in the dynamics of having everybody, or the majority of our people, around that table, looking at each other, and going through the scenes, because there was a different energy that happened that was then able to be brought to the recording on that following Saturday. Yeah, things really started to click when we were all in the same room, even though timing had been worked out and emotions and and the background, just something kind of magical happens when you're all together in a space. And it's that live connection, that live energy between people that then brought a new depth to all of the emotion which then the actors were able to convey on that Saturday of the recording. Plus, because they had spent so much time with the headphones and with working on this concept of colorization. Because uh, I remember I talked a lot to all the actors. You know, Remember, it's the color of the words. Putting all of that in there that helped to make it conversational. Because we're all stage actors and we're used to projecting. Mm-hmm. Yet when you get into a recording, it's different. And I fully believe that having worked with the headsets as much as we did allowed us to be conversational with each other. Did you have to make any creative choices after you guys decided to do this as a podcast because you knew uh, we don't want to wait around? To... Well, let me ask about that. At some point, you realized we want to produce this. And with the pandemic, we don't know when we're going to be able to on a stage. So you decided to do a podcast. How did that happen? Well, actually, that sort of evolved as we were doing the Zoom rehearsals and we were recording them. And then I would go back and I would listen. And I would realize that this play doesn't depend on a lot of physical action other than dance of the audience being able to have to see something in order to follow the plot line or the storyline. And then I realized very early on is that even though we're coming out of it, there's no way anybody was, we're going to be producing this in 2021 on the stage. Because at that point, theaters were not even beginning to think about opening. Right. And when they did, they were going to be going with very strong moneymakers and might not be taking a chance on something new. Mm. And so I had begun doing some research on um, podcasts or theater plays in a podcast environment and felt, "Ah, this can be done. 
because this is ideally suited for that, especially with the emphasis on music that we have. That so interweaves with, um, with the show. And so I pitched the idea to Philip, and he said yes. And so that's when we decided to do it. Now, it did create some interesting things. Um, yeah, I, I did not want to take an approach that did a lot of sound effects, you know, plates, you know, clinking, glasses. Sure. The traditional you know, radio play. Yes, you mm-hmm. know, people walking. I mean, we had to have three basic things. We had to have a doorbell and two phone calls, so two phones ringing. Right. But um, other than that... We could keep it very just, it's all about the actors. It's all about the actors using their voices to take the audience down this journey of of Mara. But then we're in the party scene, and we have to do this whole thing where Mara and James have to try to dance, but they can't really make it happen, which can so easily done physically sure. on the stage. Sure, you see them stepping the st- over each, <laughs> each other, other or whatever. And then you see them stop, and they don't even say any words. Right. So then we had to develop some underlying dialogue about um, uh, how to convey this. They aren't dancing well to the fast swing, and so they're going to stop. So I actually went out online and found a resource that showed us, okay, to do the swing steps, it is step here, you know, hop, you know, move left, hop. So I wrote all of those down, and those became part of the dialogue we gave to um, Zach and Haley to be able to come up with their little banter to be able to say, oops, no, let's stop dancing now. Yeah, and that's a really good example of some research that you did for the show. I know you were talking earlier about your conversations with Philip, and it was almost like you were in class sometimes because he is a font of knowledge. He knows this stuff so well. You know, his work is always based on historical fact, and... um, but that was just a really good example of some research that you did. You've sent all of the actors some research about the period. How much of the last two years did you spend doing research? Well, when we decided to go to the table read is when I really decided to to go to that in more detail. Um, because I did have an understanding of the 40s because my parents were um, alive then. My mother was in college. And in fact, there is a picture of her college graduating class where she, there is only one male in the entire class of like 50 people. Wow. And because this is, you know, the mid 40s, early 40s. And then my dad, remember going, um, joining up and pictures of him in his Navy uniform. Wow. Uh, Or the one is that my father's older brother went into service and was killed. And then my father's going to go. He's enlisted. And he, um, and my grandmother goes to have a, pic- a portrait of her made. Uh, she's, I, I can see it clearly in my head. She's um, wearing these pearls. And she has the saddest smile on her face. Mm. And that's because she had just learned that week that Bob had been killed, oh, and now wow. she's going to send another oh. off to the war. And so that will always stay with me. 
as that memory. But uh, going in there and looking at it, I think it's important for actors to understand the time period with what they're working in because they weren't from that period. And there's reasons that dialogue is set in certain ways. And to understand the difference between Max and Ray and to be able to show you and Mara, here's the type of house that you would have lived in. Mm -hmm. Here's the antiques, those family antiques that you had. And to show Ray and Betty, you were the, the fashion people. You were, uh, had all the latest modern styles. In fact, when I saw some of the furniture there, it's like, shoot, I want that in my house. <laughs> I couldn't believe this was from 1942. I actually checked twice on um, the, the sources I was looking at. I says, nope, this is it. This is 1942 furniture. I said, that would be right in my living room right now. But, and the style of dress, and to understand all of that, and how that looks, and what was going on in the time period. Mm -hmm. uh, because that shapes how characters are built, and how you create your backstory. And that's the fun part. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of furniture, my wife, Heather, is also an actor and a director, and I have a phone scene in the play, and she's got this old 40s phone. I was like, oh, so I rehearsed picking up that giant heavy receiver, and it, you know, just having that in your head, getting some of that in your body is so important. And you, as an actor, know that as well because you acted – for many years, mm -hmm. you have a long history of acting and uh, went to school for some of that training. And this, however, is your first directing, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, it would not have shown. You would not have <laughs> known that because you were so prepared and you had, you know, such great ideas. Um, but how was the experience for you? As it was, it was great. It really was. I would have to say that you would call me an actor's director mm. because I'm going for the character development and finding those arcs and finding and, and helping the characters understand their growth and getting them to say, this is how I think the character should be. You know, I'm not a director that will go in and I try not to, let's say, to go in and tell you how to read a line. Uh, we've all worked with those directors, mm -hmm. you know, or stand here and, you know, but it's important, though, to be able to help them find their voice. And I think that's the part that I really love is the character development. Yeah. So I'm I'm anxious to be able to now put this on the stage. Oh, yeah. And I know that's... Uh... In your future, that was always the ultimate goal for you guys. What is the what is the plan? Do you have anything? You know, what's next? Well, I'm looking uh, to looking at something in hopefully 2022, mm -hmm. because the one thing that is missing from this show is the dance element. This show really focuses on the spoken word, music, and then dance. In the stage play, dance is going to have a major impact and presence in the show. It's going to be the opening scenes to be able to um, set this mood about the young people at their, um, their dance clubs and then have the music change to the more of the war style music and have the men go off. And then the big dance scene 
in um, Act Act One, Scene Two, uh, for the dinner party, uh, the while James and Maura are outside in the garden talking, the other characters are going to be dancing still, and very subtly, very slowly, mm-hmm. but dance continues. And then what will happen is is those characters of Olivia, James, and Maura all have to be able to exit the stage, change clothes for the next morning, and the set has to be changed. So we decided that we would then have a dance scene happen with the remaining two couples to be able to take us through that and to be able to highlight the style of dancing then and give us the time to do the technical aspect. Sure. And then, of course, there will be the ending dance sequence when, um, you know, for the end of the show, when Mar is listening to the song that she and James dance to. Mm. Yeah, while the play is very much a relationship play and you are able to get so much of that just through listening, which is why I think the podcast is going to be very powerful. There is a lot that you can do with visuals that just fill, you know, just add this this body to it that I think will translate really well to the stage. And I think it'll be very interesting because there is something about the clothing of the 40s. Mm. You know, I can see James in his tux, but the women's with their evening apparel will be so nice. It'll be it's just it's just a different time period. Yeah. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the podcast, there's not going to be the traditional opening night like you have with a play where everyone's going to the theater and there's all the buzz. But there's got to be an official release date. So do you have any plans for how you're going to celebrate the online opening? Well, technically, um, our online opening will be when when we, we do the, the big podcast. We are developing a very strong social media plan to be able to get people on board, we're getting them to our Facebook page, then to be able to get them to see when the podcast does get launched. Um, we are, or we are, or we did, I guess, because by the time people are listening to this, that um, we had our own cast listening party. And uh, so I was very excited about that. Um, but you know, our goal is just to keep the, you know, to get the buzz out and um, to keep the momentum going. Um, there is so much that can be done with this show. And the podcast is really going to show people the quality of the writing and the quality of the acting. Um, all of you actors, you, you put your heart and soul into this project. And... I just want everybody to hear it. (laughs) I can't wait to hear it. And um, one last question. So this was your first directing experience. It can't be your last, though. Will we see you in the directing chair again, do you think? (laughs) Have you been bitten by the director bug? Oh, I've I've always been bitten by the theater bug. (laughs) I mean, it was so funny. I was... um, uh, In my interview with Philip, he talked to me. He shared with the audience that... He knew in seventh grade that he wanted to be a writer. Mm. Well, in seventh grade, I did my career's notebook on being an actor. Wow. I had to go and interview people in, the, in my profession. And Mary Martin was actually at the Moore's Mechanic Theater doing Peter Pan. 
So I wrote to her asking to interview her because I had to interview, you know, somebody in my profession. She sent me a handwritten note back that basically said there really wasn't any reason to talk with her, but that her advice to me was to just follow my heart. Mm. And that's what I have done. Uh, you know, I've been over 20 years in the theater world, and I've enjoyed all the time. Um, I've enjoyed the role that community theater plays for all of the people who have a passion for theater but decided, for whatever reason, that it wasn't going to be their primary source of income. Sure. But they still have that passion. And I remember when I was at the Waukesha Civic Theater, I was their board of president, their board um, president, and I <laughs> had to get up and talk for um, to the audience for one of the Christmas shows. And I really stressed to the people there about the importance that having community theater was for the for people who have this passion. And I said, my father came to every single show I was in, in high school and in college, because I went to a local college in Maryland. I said, he may have slept through most of them. <laughs> I'm honest about that. But he came to everyone. And I think that community theater fills that role for the people who have the passion and that it's important a part of their life. And I allowed myself to get away from it for many years. And But actually, it was moving here in 2005 and going to see a production at the Weekend Theater that brought me back into the fold. And about six months after I got here, I auditioned for my first show there. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it's been great talking to you about the show. I can't wait to hear it, and I can't wait to see it on a stage uh, sometime next year, hopefully. Oh, I hope so. And I, again, thank you so much for being part of this journey with Philip and I, and you did an excellent job as Max. Thank and, you. And, you know, as I said to all the actors, you all get the rights of first refusal when it goes on the stage for those parts. All right. Okay. Thank you, James. Thank you.